Good morning. Welcome to Word of Life Chapel this morning. We're so glad that you could join us. I have a couple of announcements to share with you this morning as we begin our service. VBS is coming up Monday to Thursday, June 18th to 21st. There's an insert in the bulletin for different VBS workdays. If you have any questions, uh, please see Sarah English. The White Church is out for donations towards the Bolivia missions trip. Next week, we're going to have a number about where we are financially and if there's some extra monies that we still need, and we'll make you aware of that. But it's going to be out for the next about three weeks uh, in case the Lord lays on your heart to, to give towards the trip. We'd like to recognize our high school and college graduates next Sunday, June 10th. If you could please give the names uh, to myself, that way we're able to recognize them. Miranda and Emma have a special announcement. I feel like we need to clap for them as they come up. Yeah. Um, good morning. We're up here this morning to talk to you all about June's active service. Um, since summer tends to be a busy vacation time, we've eliminated that as an excuse for you not joining us by giving you two opportunities to join us this month. So the last two Saturdays of the month, the 23rd and the 30th, we will be going to assisted living places to play ga games and fellowship with the residents. Um, Polk Assisted in Millersburg is generously allowing us to use their bingo stuff as the main event there, while Concora's activity director informed us that their residents are a little more active than that. <laughs> um, so we plan to have a cornhole tournament there. Some of the residents are in these places more than long-term and could use an extra visitor, while others may be there more short-term for things like rehab services and could just use some friendly faces of encouragement. Our plan is to go interact and play games with the residents, like cards, checkers, chess, and puzzles, for those not interested in bingo or cornhole, or we could just go in between their cornhole games. Um, and we're also going to supply some snacks and prizes for all the winners. Uh, keep in mind that we'll need more prizes for bingo days than um, the cornhole day, and we're kind of encouraging from like little on up. Um, it tends to bring residents out more when you have kids, um, but also having people more their age, I think, would actually be encouraging to get them out and interact as well. So up on the bulletin board in the fellowship hall, you'll find two sign-up sheets for one for each day. Um, we just ask that you sign up to go and to bring something with you, so a prize, a game, a snack, um, all three, whatever you feel inclined to bring. Uh, please be as specific as you can so we don't end up with three pans of brownies, two decks of cards, and no prizes. <laughs> um, we would like a variety if we can, and they did tell us Concora's residents really enjoy snacks and candy, and specifically chocolate for prizes. <laughs> um, so please check your calendars and sign up in the fellowship hall for one or both of the dates to reach out and maybe even form a lasting relationship or reach somebody for Christ. Um, if you have any questions, feel free to just talk to me after the service. And I also left my number on one of the sheets out there if you need to call or text, okay? <laughs> Thanks, guys. All right.
right. What a great way to, to really minister to those in different assisted living homes. Um, the last announcement this morning is on July the 7th, Saturday, the Bolivia Mission Strip is going to be having another activity. Um, it's actually going to be out in the field. It's going to be a kickball tournament, um, as well as we're going to have some other things here, uh, kind of carnival type things for the whole family. That way you're not just sitting out there in the sun watching uh, different people play kickball. So more information will come out about that next week, but July 7th, just so you have that date down. Would you pray with me? Lord, we are so thankful that we can be here today. Lord, we're thankful to hear about different ministry opportunities. We think of Vacation Bible School coming up. We think of the trips to the assisted living homes. Lord, may you be glorified in all of those things. But Lord, right now, we're here today. And Lord, we all bring different things with us. Each day is filled with different challenges, but your mercies are new every morning. Lord, we ask that you would speak truth to us today. Lord, may our concerns disappear. May our barriers come down, Lord, that we may focus on the one, the true, the only God. In Jesus' name, amen. Joy of the Lord is my strength. <laughs> that was better. Though the tears may fall, my song will rise, my song will rise to you. Though my heart may fail, my song will rise, my song will rise to you. While there's breath in my lungs, I will praise you, Lord. In the dead of night, I'll lift my eyes, I'll lift my eyes to you. When the waters rise, I'll lift my eyes, I'll lift my eyes to you. While there's rope in this heart, I will praise you, Lord. The joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. In the darkness of man. Shadows I'll sing. The joy of the Lord is my strength. When I cannot see you with my eyes, let faith arise to you. When I cannot feel your hand in mine, let faith arise to you. God of mercy and love, I will praise you, Lord. Lord of light, I feel alive with you. In your presence now I come alive, I am alive with you. There is strength when I say, I will praise you, Lord. The joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. 
when sorrow comes my way when sorrow comes my way you are the shield around me always you remain like courage in the fight i hear you call my name jesus i am coming walking on the ways reaching for your life the joy of the lord is my strength the darkness I'll dance in the shadows I'll sing the joy of the Lord is my The king of my heart be the shadow where I hide, the ransom for my life. Oh, he is my song, and you are good and good. Oh, you are good and good. inside my sails the anger in the waves oh he is my song let the king of my heart be the fire inside my veins the echo of my days oh he is my song you are good
the splendor of the King, clothed in majesty, let all the earth rejoice, all the earth rejoice, He wraps Himself in love, and
great power. Let's sing it out. Then sings my soul. Then sings my soul, my Savior and God to And how great Thou art, and how great Thou art. Amen. God, you are a good God. You are a great God. And we praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you take a moment to turn around and tell the person next to you, God is great. Well, it is good to see all of you this morning, and we certainly thank you for joining us on this Lord's Day morning. Uh, a couple of prayer uh, requests that I want to make this morning. Uh, if you have your prayer ministry sheet, um, we see Ruthie Rupp uh, continues to be on our list. She had fallen, uh, but is in recovery and is with us this morning. Uh, she writes this note, um, Pastor Bob and Pastor Tony, I want to thank everyone for all of your prayers, the phone calls, and helping with yard work. I am so glad to belong to this church. You're, uh, you truly show God's love for each other. And Christian love, Ruthie Rupp. So continue to pray for Ruthie. 
And then also, uh, just an update on our neighbor across the street, Gladys Swigert. She had fallen a few months ago. Um, she is now picking up her mail, which is a real answer to prayer because, you know, it's a long grade, you know, coming from her house down to the mailbox. But she's even walking with uh, her uh, daughter and her husband just a little bit up Fellowship Drive, I've noticed. Uh, so that's an answer to prayer as well. So, Father, when we come before you this morning, we are grateful. We thank you, Lord, for the way you have touched hearts, the way you have healed people, the lives, Lord, you have changed in so many ways. Father, we count it a great blessing to be a part of this church, as Ruthie has stated in her note. Father, we thank you for the concern and the care and the love that uh, this congregation shows toward one another. Lord, when someone is hurting and someone is down and someone is burdened, uh, Lord, we fill in the gap. Uh, we stand with them uh, to try and encourage and help. And Father, I pray this church would always be that. We would be known for the love that we have for one another. For Father, we're going to look this morning at that verse that states that the mark of the Christian church is love. That people will know us as disciples of Christ, as followers of your Son, by our love. And Father, we thank you for this note that reminds us, Lord, that you know, we do belong to this kind of a congregation. Father, we thank you for the raising up of Gladys Swigert, our neighbor across the street. Father, she had a, a big fall. But, Lord, you're a big God who raised her up once again. We thank you, Lord, that she's able to, uh, it might seem small, but just be able to leave her house and pick up the mail and do a little walking. Father, we thank you for allowing her to do that. Father, there's others on this sheet in front of us that, Father, remain uh, in a situation where they're struggling. Um, issues, Father, physically. And so we commit them to you. Father, we pray that you would touch them, encourage them. May your grace, Lord, if you choose not to take away the ailment, the infirmity, may your grace, as you say, stated to Paul, may it be sufficient in their time of need. Father, we do thank you for bringing us together this morning. Father, we thank you for our time, the time in which we as the church can meet together. Father, we have come to worship you. We have come to see your son in all of his glory and all of his beauty. Father, we certainly thank you for the great salvation which you have provided for each one of us through Jesus. We thank you for his blood that was shed so that we might be forgiven of our sins. Father, the great need of mankind today is to have their sins forgiven and be in that right relationship with you. Father, we know that that happens only through Jesus. For Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man, no man comes before the Father except through me. We thank you, Lord, for all the things Jesus has done on our behalf for the finished work on Calvary's cross. 
So, Father, continue to bless us, I pray, this morning. Continue to use our time to bring glory to yourself. And, Lord, as we open the Scriptures, the bread of life, Lord, as we read and as we hear, as we listen, as we study, Lord, I pray that your word might change us as a result of being in contact with it. Father, we know that it's your word that changes lives. It's your word, Lord, that, that, that causes us to be a little bit more like your son, Jesus. Father, that's our desire, that's our goal, to be like Jesus. So help us, I pray, as we've come together. Now, Lord, as we sing this hymn that is written across our fellowship hall, to God be the glory, we do pray, Lord, that in everything we do this morning, not just in the singing of these songs, but in everything we do, from the prayers to the fellowship to the greetings to the scripture reading to the preaching, may all of this bring glory to yourself. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you turn, please, to hymn number 40, Leonard's going to come and lead us into God be the glory, great things uh, he has done. God be the glory, great things he has done. We're going to sing the first two stanzas with the instruments, then the last stanza without them. We'll sing it a cappella. I ask you to stand with me now as we sing this together. Hymn number 40. <laughs> To God be the glory, great things he hath done. So loved he the world that he gave us his Son, who yielded his life and atonement for sin, and opened a life gate or all may go in. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the earth hear. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. 
When Jesus we see, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son, and give him the glory, great things he hath done. Thank you, and you may be seated. It seems as though you enjoyed singing that, but now we enjoy the ministry of our sister Jean as she comes to minister in music. Lord bless you. Last week we weren't here. We were in Ohio visiting with all my family and it was a wonderful time. I got to see all my living siblings and lots of other relatives and a lot of them have health issues. And if I were a worrier, I might be concerned uh, about whether or not I'd ever get to see them again. But God tells us not to worry, but to have faith. So I'm trusting in the Lord this morning. You're worried about tomorrow and what the future holds. Your mind is filled with questions as you face the unknown. You've spent so many sleepless nights trying to work it out. Worry has consumed your faith with all its fears and doubts. But worry ends where faith begins when you put it in God's hands and leave it there. Oh, just leave it there. He's still in control, so trust in Him and take a hold of faith again for worry where faith begins why should we ever worry why should we fret at all when worry only hinders the mighty hand of god he says it is impossible to please him without faith. So lay aside your worry, walk on in Jesus' name. Worry ends where faith begins when you put it in God's hands and leave it there. Oh, just leave it there. He's still in control, so trust in Him. Take a hold of faith again, for worry ends where faith begins. He's still in control, so trust in Him. And take a hold of faith again, for worry ends where faith begins. 
Pastor Jane, what a powerful, powerful message. I want you to think about a special picture that you might have, a photograph, a snapshot. Maybe it's saved on your phone, maybe it's hanging in your living room, maybe it's on the desk at your office. Maybe it's of a wedding or a family vacation that was a lot of fun. Maybe it's that trophy buck that you shot last fall or a graduation picture. Of course, we know that in Bible days, they didn't have cameras or phones. But the Apostle John, in his gospel, he, he paints in words a picture for us. And it's a picture of intimacy with Jesus. It's, it's a picture of what it really looks like to be in love with our Savior. In John chapter 13, in verse 23, these are the words of John. He says, There was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Now try to think about that for a moment. Here is John. By the way, when he writes of a disciple whom Jesus loved four times in his gospel, he doesn't mention his own name. But it always refers to John the Apostle. Here is John, and he's leaning at the table during the Last Supper. He's leaning on the everlasting arms, on the very breast of his Lord. Have you ever been in love? I mean, really, really in love. Do you know that feeling? In this snapshot, in this picture, in these words that, that John paints for us, he's describing this relationship, this close relationship that he has with Jesus as he reclines there on his right hand, as he rests upon him. John had a very special love for Jesus, and Jesus had a very special love for John. It wasn't always that way. John wasn't always known, and he is known today as the apostle of love. As a matter of fact, John was a man, along with his brother James, who was tough. He was a tough and, and rugged fisherman. The Bible seems to describe him as having a bit of a temper. Maybe some anger issues. Because Jesus nicked names John and James sons of thunder no John wasn't always the apostle of love he didn't start out that way but after years of walking with Jesus Jesus changed him to become a man of great love 
So who is this guy, John? Who is this apostle that wrote the book by his name? Who is John, the disciple of Jesus? Well, let's look at a few passages to try to see who John is. We're going to start in Mark, excuse me, Mark chapter 1. Turn to Mark chapter 1. Let's look at who John was and who John became. John's before and John's after. You know, in the Christian life, there's always a before and an after. We ought not be today what we were yesterday. We should be changing and growing. John became the apostle of love, having been a son of thunder. Look at Mark chapter 1, verse 19. It says, when he, that's Jesus, had gone a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. First of all, John was a fisherman of Galilee. He was a fisherman of Galilee. Jesus calls four fishermen to be his disciples in the same context, starting at verse 16. It speaks of Jesus walking beside the Sea of Galilee, and he sees Simon, he sees Andrew, and he calls them to be his disciples. They were fishermen. Then he walks a little bit further along the shore, and he sees James and John in a boat. They were fishermen, and they're mending, they're preparing their nets. They didn't use rods and reels during this day. They had large nets that they would cast into the water. And the net would fall over the fish and then they would drag it to themselves. And these nets would break. James and John, they're fixing this net. There must have been a hole in it or something that needed fixing. And so as they're preparing these nets, Jesus is walking along the shore and he sees them. And it says, without delay, he calls them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Dad Zebedee had a great fishing business. He had hired men as his, on his staff. And it says that James and John, when they were called, they left their father in the boat to follow Jesus. John is the youngest of the disciples that Jesus called. And he didn't call John to stop fishing, uh, just not to fish anymore for fish. Now John is going to become a fisher of men. But I thought it was interesting in verse 20 where it says they left their father in the boat. You know, discipleship means sacrifice. It means leaving something behind. When you are called by God to do His work, it means you must leave something behind. Here in this situation, they left their father. They left the boat. They left their fishing profession. Matthew, you will recall last week, he was a tax collector. And the Bible says that he had to leave his tax booth in order to follow Jesus. He burned his bridges. 
Here, James and John, they burn their bridges. To follow Jesus means to leave something behind. You know, I was thinking about this and different ones in our congregation and elsewhere. I was thinking of Caleb Federhoff, you know, who was called by God to go to South Africa to become a shepherd. Think of what he had to leave behind, family and friends. I was thinking of Drew Ozenbach. You know, who now is in Lebanon. Um, when you're called by God, you have to leave family, leave friends behind to do the work of God. And this was James and John. They left their dad in the boat in order to follow Je Jesus. But not only was John a fisherman of Galilee, but it also speaks of him being a son of thunder. Turn a couple pages back to Mark chapter 3. In Mark chapter 3, we have a list of all of the 12 disciples that Jesus called. Starting at verse 13, uh, Jesus, he goes up to the mountainside, and then in verse 14, it says he appointed 12 uh, that they might be with him. He could send them out to preach, um, giving them authority, etc. Verse 16, he begins to list the 12, all by name. Then we come to verse 17. And here we read of James, the son of Zebedee. I'm in Mark 3, 17. James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, to them Jesus gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. Sons of thunder. Jesus oftentimes will nickname his disciples. And Jesus looks at James and John, knowing them inside and out, being the Son of God who is omniscient. He says, you boys are sons of thunder, Bonerges. The NIV Study Bible says that this is probably descriptive of their dispositions. <laughs> descriptive of their dispositions. As I said moments ago, I suppose these boys, they, they struggled with tempers. I suppose they had some anger issues. I suppose at times they liked a good argument, maybe even enjoyed arguing and creating conflict. Jesus didn't choose all perfect people. He chose the common day folks to become his followers. Let me give you a couple of examples that we find in Scripture where we see these two boys as sons of thunder. One of the, one of the uh, descriptions is there in Mark chapter 9. Uh, let me tell you what's taking place in the context. Uh, there is someone, doesn't name him, but someone is casting out demons in the name of Jesus. And James and John, they see this taking place. Not part of their group, not one of the disciples, but someone out there is casting out demons in the name of our Jesus. And in Mark chapter 9 and verse 38, it says this, Teacher, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop because he's not one of us. Just like John, 
Here is someone who's not part of the group, and he shut them down. That sounds like a son of thunder. Of course, Jesus comes along and says, but John, if they're not against us, they're probably for us. A little gentle rebuke. But then we have another example of John being a son of thunder. In Luke chapter 9, and you don't have to turn there, but Jesus, he's on his way to Jerusalem. And he goes through Samaria. And the Samaritans, they don't like Jesus. Jesus is a Jew. Jews and Samaritans, they have no time for one another. They hate one another. There is no love between the Jew and the Samaritan. But Jesus goes through Samaria. And the Bible says in Luke chapter 9, Jesus is not welcomed by those in Samaria. And John says, listen, when the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and destroy them? You know, it's similar to back in the Old Testament where Elijah, remember Elijah when he was in this great challenge and conflict with the prophets of Baal? And the Bible says that Elijah calls down fire to destroy all of these prophets. James and John say, Jesus, they didn't welcome you. You want us? We will call down fire and we'll just wipe out these Samaritans. Sons of thunder. This was John. This was James. This was who they are. There were times when they got a little bit hot under the collar. You know, Jesus has to do a lot of work on these two boys. These boys need some changing. But you know, if you stay with Jesus long enough, if you stay close to Jesus long enough, Jesus can take your temper and turn it into tenderness. If you stay close enough to Jesus, he can deal with your anger and turn it into adoration. This was John before. But Jesus works on John. And John becomes very, very close to Jesus. They had this special, intimate relationship. Jesus was closer to John than any of the other disciples. And John was closer to Jesus than anyone else. In the King James, the verse I read earlier, it says that John was the one, John was the one who leaned on the breast of Jesus. Four times in the book he wrote, he describes himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Because he did. Because he did. So here at the Last Supper, as they're reclined around the table, the disciples of Jesus, for a final meal before Jesus goes to the cross to die. On the right-hand side of Jesus was John. That's where he was reclining. Who do you think was on the left? You would think maybe Peter, maybe James. We're going to look next week at another disciple. His name is Judas Iscariot. 
Judas is on the left, the place of honor. Why in the world would Jesus ever <laughs> include Judas Iscariot as part of, anyway, we'll get there next week. But on his right-hand side, here is John. And Jesus, he's talking to the disciples who are there. He's saying things like, you know, I am not going to be around very long. I soon will leave this world. And you won't. And he says to the disciples, there's one here right now who will betray me. And here's Judas, right on his left-hand side. And the disciples don't know it's Judas. They don't know who it is. Maybe it's you. Maybe it's, who is it? Who could possibly? And all of these things are going through the mind of John, who loves Jesus with his heart and soul and mind. And he knows that Jesus is going to be leaving soon. And someone here among us is going to betray Jesus. We have been with him now for three years. Who of us would do that? And John has this need to draw physically close to Jesus, to lean, actually lean on Jesus, to feel his breath, to hear his heartbeat. And John leans on Jesus as the disciple of love. Who does John become? He was a fisherman. He was a son of thunder. But John becomes the apostle of love. The disciple whom Jesus... Now let me explain what that does not mean. What it does not mean when it says that John is the disciple whom Jesus loved. It does not mean, it does not mean this. It does not mean that Jesus loved John and he did not love the other disciples. It does not mean that. It does not mean that he did not love the other disciples. We know that Jesus loves everyone. For God, he so loved the world. That includes all of mankind. So it does not mean that Jesus loved John and not the other disciples. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible, it tells me so. Secondly, it does not mean this. It does not mean that Jesus loved John more than the other disciples. There is no degree to the love of God. It's not like God can love this person this much and this person this much. There are no levels, there are no degrees to the love of God. God is love. Back in 1 John, the first epistle that John wrote, he says that. He says, God, he is love. We listened to a videotape this morning, a great video for, by Chip Ingram, speaking of the justice of God. And he said in that video, God is just. That's who he is. He can't be unfair. He can't treat people with inequality. He is just. Well, John says God is love. There are not degrees or levels to that love. Do you know that God has never been more in love with you than he is right now? God has never been more in love with you right now than he's ever been. He can't be more in love, and he can't be less in love. 
God is love. There are no degrees to that. So when John says, I am the disciple whom Jesus loved, it doesn't mean that he loved John more. But the relationship, the intimacy, is closer with John. The affection, there was more tenderness, there was more warmth between the two. There was something different about the relationship. But it went both ways. It wasn't just that Jesus loved John, but that John, he really did love Jesus. He had a special affection as he leaned on his chest that day. Our degrees of love are different, right? It's hard to really grasp that there are no degrees. We love people differently. We don't love everybody the same. You love your wife or your spouse or your husband or a child or, uh, you know, differently than you do someone else. We have different degrees, but God doesn't. But John and Jesus, they had this special relationship with one another that did not exist between Jesus and the other disciples. I think we see that in another um, text in the Bible. Remember the two ladies, Mary and Martha? Remember Mary and Martha? And the Bible says that um, Mary, all she wanted to do was sit at the feet of Jesus and just listen to him and just love him. Martha, on the other hand, she was the kind of the busy servant. You know, when Jesus would show up at the house, Martha was the one who was trying to make sure everything's in place and, you know, the dinner was prepared just properly. She was the servant. Mary was the one who sat at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus said one day to Martha, 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 he actually says it twice, Martha, Martha, Jesus said, you're always worrying about things. You're, all, you're always busy. And then Jesus says to Martha, Mary has chosen the right path. Mary has chosen the right path. Oh, Jesus, he's not against servanthood. No, of course, he needs us as servants. We need to be busy and at work. We need to do all of that. But Mary's priority was the right one. The Mary's priority was to sit at the feet of Jesus and listen and love him. You know, Jesus has a lot of servants, but few real lovers. Very few people who really, really love Jesus with their heart and their soul and their mind. Servanthood is great. But passionate lovers like Mary, passionate lovers for Jesus like John can touch the heart of Jesus deeply like nothing else will. John loved Jesus. John loved Jesus with his heart and his soul and his mind. He felt very comfortable laying his head on the breast of his Lord. John became the apostle known for his love. But John also became something else. In John chapter 19, 
If you turn to John's Gospel, look at John chapter 19. John chapter 19, verse 25. The context, Jesus, he's on the cross. Jesus now is hanging on the cross, and it says in verse 25 of John 19, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there, and the disciple whom he loved, there's John again, standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Who would you trust your mother to? You know, in the days when they didn't have nursing homes and facilities like that that could care for the elderly, Jesus on the cross, he looks down, and he sees his mother, and he sees John. John becomes the disciple of trust. Not just the apostle of love, but John becomes the disciple of trust. Jesus looks and sees Mary. It's before noon. Jesus has been on the cross for a few hours. He's dying this painful, painful death. Most of the disciples have scattered. They have abandoned Jesus. We know of four at least who are there. Three Marys and a John. We know of the mother of Jesus who is there. She now is probably around 50 years of age. She's a little bit wrinkled. She's actually a senior citizen of that time. A widow. We have no knowledge of Joseph being around at this time. And Jesus looks down at her. And she looks up at her son. Jesus was in great pain and agony. But I believe so was Mary. Remember when Jesus was just born, he was just a little tiny baby? Remember when Joseph and Mary, they took this little child and brought him to the temple? And in the temple, they presented him to the Lord. But there was an older man there. His name was Simeon. And Simeon had been waiting for this day, just waiting for this day to come when, when he might see the Messiah. He knew who this baby was. The consolation of Israel. And he said things like, this is the Messiah. This is the one that Israel has been waiting for. And then he turns to Mary, who is still just a young teenager. And Simeon says to Mary these words, a sword will pierce your soul too. Simeon said to the mother of Jesus, a sword will pierce your soul too. In other words, Jesus is going to experience great agony someday. Jesus will 
experienced great pain. But you too, Mary, a sword is going to pierce your very soul too. And I believe the fulfillment of that is right here. Mary is experiencing, as she watches her own son die, this excruciating death, her soul is in agony. And Jesus, he doesn't look at his own pain. He looks at mom. And he says, I I need to care for her. And he looks at John. Here is John, his great friend, the one who leaned on his bosom. Here is, I was so glad to see John that day. Because he knew he could trust John. He could trust his mother in the care of John. And so he looks at mom and says, woman, this now is your son. John, this is now going to be your mother. And the wording that is used here, someone in a commentator said, commentary said, it's used of the words used of the betrothal period during this day, where a new relationship now is being established. And that's what Jesus was doing. He was establishing this new relationship between his mother and John the Apostle. That now you will look at each other as mother and son, son and mother. And the Bible says that John, who is now this great disciple of trust, he takes her into his home. That's who John became. The son of thunder. He became the apostle of love and the disciple of trust. It was only John that was there that day of the disciples. All the rest, they ran and they hid. But the closest one to Jesus, the one who reclined beside him, who felt his heartbeat, he stayed to the very end. He never abandoned Jesus like all the rest of the disciples. You know, we often wonder how these disciples died, and um, we have the account of many, and it's probably accurate, but we really don't know how John died. Uh, We don't know exactly how it all came about, but uh, the website that I always like to go to when I have questions, and my question was, how did John die? Um, It's a website, uh, gotquestions.com, and um, I trust it. It's always been accurate and reliable. And so let me read what uh, this fellow says about the death of John. He says, the most plausible theory, okay, so we don't know for sure, but the most plausible theory of John's death states that John was arrested in Ephesus and he faced martyrdom when his enemies threw him in a huge basin of boiling oil. However, according to the tradition John was miraculously delivered from death. The authorities then sentenced John to slave labor in the mines of Patmos. That was a little island. On this island in the southern part of the Aegean Sea, John had a vision of Jesus Christ, and he wrote the prophetic book of Revelation. The apostle John was later freed, possibly due to old age, and he returned to what is now Turkey. He died as an old man sometime after A.D. 98. 
the only apostle to die peacefully. The only apostle to die peacefully of old age. We don't know if that's all accurate, but um, sounds real good. So let me conclude this way with point number three. We're the church. We're the church of Jesus Christ. We have put our faith and trust in Christ. Who are we supposed to be? We are to be disciples of love. You and I are to be disciples of love. Again, if you turn back to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. Let me read a couple verses that follow uh, the verse that I read earlier about John reclining with Jesus at the Last Supper. In John chapter 13 and verse 34, it says this, A new command I give you. Now, Jesus, he's still there with his disciples. And he speaks to them. And he says to these disciples, A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, right before this, in verse 33, Jesus says, I'm going to be with you only a little bit longer. I will be leaving you, but when I leave, my command to you is to love each other. Because in loving one another, people will know that you are my disciples, that you are followers of me. It's a mark that distinguishes them. Now, in a sense, this is not a new commandment. We have this commandment back in the Old Testament. But for the disciples, it's new. You men, Andrew, you must love James. And John, you must love Nathaniel. As you walk through this life, this is the mark that will distinguish you, that will set you apart as my disciples. And it's the same mark that distinguishes us as a church to be the, as the disciples of Jesus. Love was the distinguishing mark. And this was not just some passing comment of Jesus. It wasn't like at the end of the meal, he just kind of thought, ah, maybe I'll just say, this is said in James chapter 2 to be the royal law. The royal law to love your neighbor as yourself. And Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 5, it's the mark of bearing fruit. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. Love being first. It is what distinguishes. It was what sets us apart as followers of Christ. They will know you. And in the immediate context, he's talking to his disciples. People will know you as my disciples if you love one another but it goes beyond that. The application to us this morning is we are disciples of Christ. We are his followers. And how do people know that we are that? What is that distinguishing mark? It is love. Jesus said love is the distinguishing mark. Love must be what we're known for. And like John, we must love Jesus with our heart and soul and mind. He loved us first, 
and so we love him. But then we love each other as ourselves. And by our love for one another, all men outside the body of Christ, all men will know that you here at Word of Life Chapel, that you are the disciples of Jesus if you love one another. And so we must come to grips with that. And so I appreciate little notes like Ruthie's this morning and Mary Alice had one last week about belonging to the church, that the, the church is a loving church because when someone has a, a need, we rise up, we step up to the occasion, and we help, and we do this, and we do yard work, and we do whatever needs to be done. That's the mark, the distinguishing mark of the Christian church. And so I would like for us to stand, and I would like for us to read Scripture as we close this morning. Go ahead, stand. The Apostle Paul, he actually wrote in 1 Corinthians 13 um, all about love. And if you've ever been to a wedding, um, this is always one of those passages that is, that is read. It describes love. You know, we think love is, you know, a feeling or it's this or it's... Love is something we do. It's an action between us. So I want us to read the first eight verses. Uh, we'll sing a hymn and we'll be dismissed. So read this with me. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all my possessions to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres, and love, it never fails. Take your hymn books, if you would, please, or follow the screen behind me, and turn to hymn number 204. Hymn number 204. During Mother's Day, someone actually chose this hymn. There's a quiet understanding when we're gathered in the Spirit. It's a promise that he gives us when we're gathered in his name. There's a love we feel in Jesus. There's a manna that he feeds us. It's a promise that he gives us when we gather in his name. Let's sing this together.
thank, first of all, for loving us. And give us and help us, Lord, to have that deep love for you. And help us as well, Lord, to have love for one another, just as we love ourselves. Father, our aim in all of this is that others might know that we are your disciples. And Lord, when they look at us and see Word of Life Chapel, that they know that we are followers of yours. That, Father, we belong to you and you belong to us. So continue to give us that deep, sincere love for one another and help it to work out in our behavior and our actions so that it might be seen. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.